Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. Thanks for joining us this week for Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. Gabe will join us shortly. But first, let's return to the conversation that Gabe started last week with Show Baraka. Show will be co-hosting this year's Q Conference, April 11th through the 13th in Nashville. Like all Q Conferences, Q 2018 will deal with many of the big issues we face as a nation and world. And that's where we left off last week, so let's return right away to that discussion. Continuing down specifically about how we're going to talk about some difficult topics on race that need to just be brought to the fore. One of the topics you and I have talked about a little bit, and now we want to do something at Q on, is the idea of reparations. And when you start talking about reparations, uh-oh, you know, now, <laughs> uh-oh, what? Yep. Reparations? Yep. You know, there's two kind of ways of thinking about that. And I've been reading and trying to better just, again, understand this. And and one area is the government. Like, what is the government responsibility? Is there a responsibility financially and economically and, and to society and to cities and communities that uh, were directly affected because of the slave trade and the government support of the slave trade and, and all of that? And, and you've got not only that with, with African-Americans, you've got to talk about that with the First Nations and Native Americans. Um, but there's another side to it that we're going to talk about at Q that that actually feels more like something we could do something about, because I think I think it gets a little paralyzing when you're talking about what's the government going to do. It also becomes completely political. It becomes an issue that that everybody starts to fight about and nobody wants to do anything about. And it's paralyzing. I mean, even just the gun discussions that happen in our capital, you see how little we can get done on something as simple as that, where there are some real common sense things that probably everybody agrees on. But nobody wants to make the move. And, and so when you talk about government getting involved in reparations, that's overwhelming. When you talk about the church, though, what is the church's responsibility? What's the church's opportunity to think about repairing the past? You know, a lot of people don't understand how much a lot of denominations that were predominantly white benefited from the slave trade, benefited from that economy that was part of America. Their denominations grew. They were able to create institutions and do all kinds of things that the African-American community did not have that benefit of doing. So is there a way we can look forward and say, what can we be doing for reconciliation? What can we be doing to repair the sins of our past? Now, that's, again, man, that I, I don't think everybody's going to be happy about this talk. I don't know that we're, we're going to find like just solidarity and agreement but again, at Q Show, part of the goal is to start conversations that we think are critical. They're important. They're happening. They're happening in some private places. But we want to put it right on the front stage and say, no, we need to deal with this. We need to talk about this. We need to start a conversation. Maybe it takes a while to see some real practical ways we can do this seep into to churches. But, man, Duke Kwan, who's a pastor himself, he's going to do such a good job, I think, of in a graceful way, but also in a way that's powerful and convicted remind us of what our opportunity is here. But in your view, I mean, this is obviously an enormous topic. Do you think there's some opportunity here for, for conversation too? Well, first let me say that I'm excited that Duke is, is taking on this, this opportunity. I don't know him well. We've engaged over social media and uh, seems like a great guy, seems like a sharp dude. And so 
I'm excited that he's been employed to handle this task. I think what you, in your explanation, I think you, there's, there's a couple of things you said that I think are important for people who are going to sit and listen to Duke share about reparations is one, they have to understand that it's, our nation was built off the back of slave labor. And if you one, believe that slave labor is an injustice, then you also believe that that injustice needs to be made right in some way. Everybody believes in, in kind of like restitution and repentance individually. Right. If I was to wrong someone, I, I have a responsibility to repent. And we, we've relegated repentance to just this idea of saying, I'm sorry. But no, like you, you make right what is wrong. And we see that all through the Old Testament. You yeah. see that in Zacchaeus's relationship with uh, the people he exploited. What, what we have today is a group of people who have, in a sense, extrapolated their personal connection with God to their relationship with a greater community of people. And that the lie is, is that one, that Christianity is about a relationship with God. It's not about a relationship with God. It's about relationships. And one of those relationships is God and it's relationships with people and community and the work you do. Mm -hmm. And if all we do is say that, oh, when I repent and I make restitution, it's about my own personal restitution to a person that I wronged or to God, then what we, it's going to be a harder fight for people to understand this idea of reparations and restitution. But if you do believe that because institutions were built to your to your point, colleges, seminaries, churches, like you took about like the Southern Baptist Convention to, you know, yeah. these are institutions that were built because of segregation, slavery or, or or racism. And so when you talk about repenting as an institution, what does that look like? Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm not I don't have the answers. If I had the answers, then I probably wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'll be, be somewhere sitting next to Tiny Heasy Coats or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, I, and I think what's important in this conversation is that it's not just African-American leaders trying to have it. Like right. That's Absolutely. that's not I think that's the opportunity we have is is Duke's yeah. actually an Asian-American. So he's not an African-American. He's also not a white man. So he's he has this unique view and perspective on it. Even yeah. in a, and to, to point out just the Asian fact, like America as an as a as government, as a government has paid reparations to different types of people. And, right. uh, but it has yet to, uh, pay up for its, oh, as James Madison says, its original sin, which is slavery. It wasn't until Obama was in office that the actual government apologized for the act of slavery. So mm -hmm. as an institution, we just apologize. So now that we've just apologized, this is as a nation, what yeah. does it mean to make that right? And so I and, think those are good conversations to have. Yes. And a lot of people don't understand even from the government perspective how much Germany and Israel had that absolutely take place over the last like what 70 years I mean mm -hmm. there's precedent for some things happening from a government perspective and I think that's an important conversation but I but like like we said let's start with the church because I mean think about just the reputation of the church right now in absolutely. our culture and and the word evangelical and, and we'll be talking about that too at Q but you think about that reputation what are the things we can be doing that demonstrate very tangibly to the world that we love one another. Yeah. I think this is one of those important places to have that conversation. So we'll make sure we have some time. So when Duke gives his talk, you and I, maybe afterwards, you and I can just ask him some questions and just keep playing it out. And, and I'm sure that's going to create some great dialogue around some panels and, and other things. Well, I want to keep this moving, man. We, we could talk all day about each of these talks, <laughs> but we've got so 35 talks. They're all on our online at qideas.org slash 2018. 
it's good. You know, we got Michael Ware talking about politics. I mean, that's, that's going to be interesting. Tony Evans talking about kind of the virtues of the kingdom. David Kinnaman's going to be with us. We've got Lisa Bevere talking about the church and what does it mean for men and women to lead together in the church? We're going to be addressing me too. And, and really we're going to have a panel on that with several women offering their perspectives on what does a room, you know, need to hear? What, what do men need to hear? from women about the kind of environments that they're living in right now. Maybe some things we haven't heard before, or we just need to hear. Um, we've got Bobette Buster with us, who's from the arts and entertainment world and, and show. I don't know if you've ever met Bobette, but you're going to love her. She's a, she's a, a consultant with Pixar, with several of the leading film companies on how they develop their stories. Mm -hmm. Just amazing. Uh, which leads me to, to kind of our closing thing I want to talk about. And that is since over the last couple of years, through some of uh, Q and some other spaces we've created, you come into friendship with Greg Thompson, somebody who also speaks frequently uh, at Q. And you guys have been working on something together that I think is just a beautiful story of collaboration, of the way in which we're trying to inspire people to say, let's go create culture together. And that's what you and him have been doing. Will you just talk to us a little bit about what you've been working on? Yeah. So I, you know, kind of similar to you, I encountered, Greg personally and through cyberspace twice before I actually had a conversation with him. One, it was through one of the talks that he gave for Q on uh, one of the praxis talks about work and why work is important in the context of community. And I loved it. And I actually shared it with some folks that I was leading at the time. And then another time I went to Tennessee to a, a faith and work event and he was the main speaker and just shook his hand and kept moving. <laughs> but then I actually met him at Q last year. But then he calls me some months later and he's like, hey, man, I would love to see what you think about partnering on this opportunity to honor the sanitation worker strike that happened in Memphis in 1968. People outside of Memphis, unless you are somewhat of a history scholar and or a civil rights scholar, very few people know about why Martin Luther King was in Memphis and why he died in Memphis in 1968, leading the Poor People's Campaign, somewhat controversial because he had begun to pivot towards economic justice to move from kind of civil rights to more human rights issues. And he felt that you can't talk about race issues, you can't talk about civil rights but not talk about economic injustice. The sanitation worker strike he felt was something that was quite apropos to tie to his Poor People's Campaign. And so he came down to help and assist with these sanitation workers who were striking for months because they felt like the working conditions they were in were brutal. They were mistreated. The white people, the white drivers would get privileges and that the black people weren't afforded. And then actually two of the sanitation workers died due to faulty equipment. And that's when they decided to protest. MLK came down to assist in that. This April will be the 50th year uh, to honor kind of like that movement, that protest while at the same time, it's tied to MLK's assassination. It's a great opportunity to bring uh, homage to not only King, but also to the fight of, of justice, not just racial justice, but economic justice that impacts people of all colors and all races. And so we're doing a play that basically honors the sanitation worker strike. And I'm extremely excited. And Greg is one of the, uh, I guess you can say, writers, making sure that, you know, the historicity and the articulation is there. We're partnering with some other folks, people from New York, but mostly from people from Memphis to, to bring this together and to be awesome. And hopefully, hopefully, there may be an opportunity for us to do 
one of the uh, the the songs on stage at Q. Oh man, I know. I'm I'm excited. I know you're coming down to the wire, creating, and this is like hip hop musical. I mean, it's not only a play, but music, and I'm excited, man. Love that you're doing it. Love. I mean, the week before Q is that 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination, and so you know you're going to be coming right off of a, a week where you've been there and and honoring him, but also uh, really helping people understand history because right. like you said a lot of people don't understand the sanitation worker strike and what a critical role that was playing at that moment yeah. uh, and now you're bringing that to bear because you're creating something so I love it man I love what you're doing I want to thank you for just spending some time with us today just working through it and talking through a few of these things and, and it's going to be so fun to be together uh, man we're only I mean we're, we're a few weeks out yeah. so it's, it's coming quick April 11th through 13th and uh, it's going to be fun to be together looking forward to doing this with you brother I'm excited as well, man. Continue to good work, and I'll see you in April, bro. Again, thank you for listening to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. And if you want to learn more about Q2018, go to qideas.org slash 2018. All the information is there. Now, Gabe, to give more of a taste of what show Baraka will be bringing to this year's conference, we wanted to take the rest of the show to bring a talk that he did last year at Q2017. Would you introduce the topic of that talk for us? Now, you've probably heard of gentrification. You've, you've probably heard that applied to your city or a part of your town. But you ever heard anybody talk about the gentrification of a faith? Well, show went there, and it was pretty incredible, very powerful in nine minutes to help us understand how is our Christian faith maybe being gentrified. Now, I'm not going to do the work for him. He did an incredible job, and I want you to hear his perspective. But there's a few things he reminds us of. One is that where did our faith come from? Did our faith really come from Western cultures, or, or did it have a history before that? And and how has this story gone on? What what has fueled the telling of this story, and who tells this story? And are we really appreciating the depth and the color and the different ways and angles in which our faith has been shaped? Do we do we get the whole story ever? And so in nine minutes, he can't give us the entire story, but he can certainly make us think. He can make us go, wow. I've been missing a few things and make us want to go deeper. In fact, this year, we're going to go even deeper into what show describes at our most recent Q conference in this talk called Gentrification of Christianity. And I can't wait for you to hear it. I can't wait for it to challenge you. And then we'll come back together at the end and talk about a few of the ideas that he's going to share. Let's listen and know. As you said, my name is Shobaraka and I'm a creative by trade and by passion and I believe that storytelling is quite important I believe that storytelling forms identity I believe that our identities are formed by the narratives that are transmitted by our families by our friends and by our faith but as Christians we recognize that storytelling uh, is quite important and that a good story always has God in the center of it and that in that we learn that we are submissive as his creation to that. And we see good storytelling in Genesis 1 and 2. Bad storytelling oftentimes creates an inversion of that, right? And we put God in our place and we want to be the center of the story. And oftentimes what happens is we create a perversion, not only of the relationships that God meant for good, but also what we do in our creation and our cultivating. And this is not just a problem with the non-believing world. This is something that the church has been struggling with for centuries, bad storytelling. 
if we look at Christianity as a religion that started off as an oppressive Eastern faith full of agitators, now it's known mostly as a Western religion that oftentimes, not all the time, that oftentimes only benefits those individuals who are of a certain political or social class. And this is the reason why I call this talk the gentrification of Christianity, because gentrification by definition is the process of renovating or improving a house or a district so that it conforms to a middle class taste. And there are three factors or three patterns that you usually see. Not the, these are not the only ones, but these are usually three prominent patterns that you see within gentrification that I think that we're seeing in Christianity. One, we're seeing an economic and a social discrepancy. Two, we usually see the change of an aesthetic or the removal of, uh, of individuals who once represent an indigenous community. And third, we see displacement. And so as we first talk about this uh, economic and social discrepancy, one of the things that we, we're learning is that Christianity, or we see is Christianity is becoming more of a, a social or a status symbol and a class rather than a transformative grace that leads the enemies of God to himself and helps them love the things that they once hated. And when Christianity becomes a religion for the privilege, just like redlining and redistricting, we start to redefine what righteousness and sin is. And this kills communities of authentic and authenticity. Was once a beautiful church that had diversity, now becomes a homogeneous social club where we can now begin to hide our sins and our hurts behind wealth and status. And this means we must be vigilant in resisting a Jesus and a gospel that perpetuates ideas that only benefit our cultural archetypes. In this sense, Jesus becomes more of a lobbyist rather than Lord. And we can see this in the naivete of the, of, of the rich young ruler. This is an individual who desired reconciliation with Jesus but didn't want to deal with the truth. And on the other side, on the flip side of that, what we can see is we can be caught up in the sin of Jonah. Individuals who only want to see truth and condemnation but have no real reconciliation to see the people of Nineveh restored to God. These are both problematic. And secondly, what we can see is that there's a, an aesthetic change. When you live in a community that's probably being gentrified, you start to see vegan bakeries pop up and coffee shops everywhere, right? In the same sense, what we can see is Christianity. We can see this in Christianity. Um, I have the privilege of learning from a, 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 a wonderful individual, Dr. Vince Bantu, who is one of the authorities on early Christian history on the East, professor at the Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis. And one of the things that I've learned is that you cannot divorce the influence of Asia, Africa, and the Mideast from Christianity. But oftentimes what we do in our gentrified Christianity is when we talk about church history, we start in Rome and we move north. And we often also propagate these very dishonest images of Jesus that uh, I, I don't think that uh, quite represents the faith of the East. We forget that Africa had great fathers like Athanasius and Trechetillion and, and Athanasius and that there were great kingdoms of Christianity in Ethiopia like Azana and Nubia and Syria and Egypt. Now am I saying that Jesus and his disciples looked exactly like me? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I've been saying that for decades. But even if he doesn't look like me, even if the disciples don't look like me, one thing I do know is that he doesn't look like the Jesus of Norway. And so, 
But also in our seminaries, are we learning about people like Jarena Lee, Sojourner Truth, Francis Grimke, Lemuel Haynes, Richard Allen, Absalom Jones? Oftentimes we don't because we don't feel like these people were noble or we don't feel like they're, they're worth our time and the, 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 the energy to be honored. And so the last thing we see within this pattern is we see displacement. And when you talk about displacement, the fuel that, that, that creates displacement is power and means. And if Christianity is only a religion that can be enjoyed by the privileged and the aristocrats, then shame on us. We not only need a theology about the poor, but we need a theology from the poor. And oftentimes the reason why we don't do this is because in our gentrified Christianity, there's no place for people who are materially poor but love Jesus with all their heart, mind, body, and soul. Because oftentimes we equate righteousness with upward mobility or social status. And we have to change that. And so what we have in our gentrified Christianity is we've created a Jesus that fits our ideologies. Oftentimes, we'll have a Jesus who only cares about abortion, but he doesn't care about police brutality. We'll have a Jesus that cares about sex trafficking, but he doesn't care about the fact that our porn addiction and the music that we purchase actually fuels those industries. We have a Jesus that cares about sending missionaries to undeveloped countries, but maybe we should castigate the systems that probably put those countries in the position that they're in in the first place. Brothers and sisters, we have two Jesuses. We have a Jesus for you and we have a Jesus for me. And that's problematic. Here's three things that I think are, I would love to see change. Is one, this God is the center of his own narrative. And oftentimes what we do is we want to invert that. And we use human anthropology and we expect supernatural results. And that's foolishness. Second, we've allowed our politics, our academia, our entertainment, our friendships to inform our faith rather rather than vice versa. On one side, there has been an erosion of biblical conviction that tells us that our existential views validate the ordinance of God. But on the other side, we've lost the compassion of the gospel that makes us sensitive to the pain, the injustices, and the suffering in humanity that causes us to weep with those who weep. Brothers, we need conviction and compassion. And then lastly, we have to realize that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. So when we see that God is making us in his image and Jesus is reconciling us back to that, it's not just our personal relationship with him, and it's not even just our relationship with one another. Jesus is also redeeming our work and our cultivating for his glory. So that means not only do we see Jesus challenging individuals to take their sin responsibility personally, but he also challenges the systems that are unjustly benefiting particular groups of people. He challenges the systems and the individual. We must not have two Christ. It's funny how some people, they see the Lord. Some see him as a pacifist. Some see him with a sword. The Lord who hated sin showed grace to the thief, saved the lonely prostitute for being stoned in the street. He was holy, but he hung with the sinful, drove the wicked out by flipping over tables in the temple. He took a wrongful death, and yet he remained silent, but he said he's coming back, and he is bringing violence. Many people isolate him just to make him fit their calls, never to involve the greater context at all. So are there two Christ totally unrelated, or maybe it's one Christ, and he's pretty complicated? Thank you.
I told you that show would be provocative, and, and he is. And, and I hope you appreciated hearing his perspective, hearing his passion, his energy for us to get it right, to better understand, to, to do the hard work of trying to understand our history as Christians and the importance of understanding that really does start to shape the way we see one another, the way we see the future, the way we see potential. I think one of his thoughts that just hangs with me is this idea of we don't need a theology of the poor, but we need it from the poor. We need to hear from people who come from different perspectives, not just those who have been given a, a great classical education or have had all these amazing experiences that we would hold up and say, this person's deserving of sharing with us their understanding of God, but that there's a lot we can learn from people who maybe have never been in those places, but have a deeper, richer experience of their understanding of who God is and how he's working in the world and how he works through them. And so that hangs with me as we even think about the planning for this queue that's coming up in just a few weeks. In fact, show's going to be with us. He's going to be helping interview some folks. And, and as our friendship has grown, I just want more and more people to know who he is and, and his calling. He's taking people further in their understanding of truth and understanding of the opportunity we have as people of faith in society. And I hope as we continue forward in the conversations, even in the weeks ahead at Q, that we're going to hear from some voices that maybe you wouldn't have thought you would have heard from. You're going to hear from some voices that really model what show's talking about here. People who can give us an experience and an understanding from a perspective that you probably weren't expecting. And so we hope you'll join us. It's Q2018, April 11 through 13 here in Nashville. We can't wait to host all of you. It's just going to be incredible. Looking at the people who are coming, the organizations represented. I mean, it's going to be our best gathering, probably the most influential in terms of the types of leaders who are coming, all the different channels of culture that are represented. And we just want to hold that carefully and say, God, help steward this time. And to hear from other brothers and sisters and even those outside of our faith, what we need to know to be equipped as we move forward as faithful Christians who are trying to really engage our cultural moment. I hope you'll be a part of it. Check out more at qideas.org slash 2018. That's qideas.org slash 2018. And learn more about Q and all of the wonderful experiences and current issue panels and vocation panels and talkbacks and meals and all kinds of things that'll be happening for three days in Nashville. And we hope you'll join us. Well, we look forward to our next podcast and continuing the learning, continuing the conversation, and hopefully provoking you in the conversations you're trying to lead and have in your community. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.